I wonder if you've considered asking students what they want to do in your classroom. Do you think you're afraid of what might happen if we ask them? You actually might be surprised at what their answers are. I like to think of it as if I just use my ideas, I'm only one brain. If I include my students, now I'm working with 20 brains or however many students you have. In my conversation with Shane, we explore our feelings of being a a first-year teacher versus a veteran teacher and how that's really changed who we are and how we operate. How have you developed as an educator? How has your role changed? What do you think we could do to support new teachers so that they can see the value and not be so afraid of student voice? This interview with Shane really made me think about being a new teacher and some of those fears and lack of confidence that new teachers face, how that really impacts our ability to engage and empower students. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shane as much as I did. podcast education unimagined where give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard i ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone Welcome to the podcast, Education Unimagined. I'm excited to talk to you about ways or ideas of how student voice can be incorporated more into the classroom. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to get to sit here and chat with someone. It's always fun. My name is Shane Lawrence. I've been teaching for 10 years, although I have been teaching mostly drama and tech-focused courses. I also co-host a podcast on the side called Unprofessional Development. So let's just start right in on what is your definition of student voice? Student voice can be terrifying because it's when I was trained as a teacher, the, the implicit message is that you are the authority in the room, you are the source, you are the, the ray of sunshine in that room. You are the one who knows everything and directs everything and never said explicitly, but that was kind of the training. But student voice is really just rejigging your understanding of what the student's role in the classroom is. They're not a bucket to be filled. Student voice has to do with just empowering students to be more than just receptacles, more than just the people who come in and do the things that you assign them. The way I always think of it is we're just on a raft and we're going down the river together. I'm the adult and I've been down this river before, so I know I have a pretty good idea of where we're going. But at the same time, let's have an adventure. Let's do this together. And if you want to try something different, we can try something different. So I've gone very much from holding my lesson plans tightly in my hand to holding them open an open palm. And if some kid wants to come along and say, why don't we do this and add something to it or take something away or just grab the steering wheel of that old boat and just yank it to one side, maybe we'll crash into the riverbank, but that's okay. We can get back out there and keep going. So student voices is about having students have the ability to input during the voyage of learning. I had that similar message of being the expert. I'm curious to know if you think it's the word we use to define our role as teacher. Do you think that's where the message and that misunderstanding of what our role is involved in like giving the information rather than 
sharing the information. I've been sort of trying to move away from that term. Even when I sign off letters to parents, I'll sign no Shane Lawrence underneath that'll put instructor for this class or educator. I'm toying around with something else because teacher doesn't quite seem to fit. It just doesn't feel right. Something about what you said makes sense. It's just the legacy of the word itself is just tied to the origins of the education system, which are very much tied into like the sit and get kind of thing. And that's fine. That's where it comes from. But maybe we need to coin a new word a new term for that person who stands at front of the room every now and then and yells at kids. But I, I've been mucking around with words, honestly, and I'm not sure what the best term is. Sometimes I think guide. One of the things I do in my film class, I tell the kids, yes, I'm your teacher, but really what I am is I'm your executive producer. So I oversee all your projects. Yes, your students, but your filmmakers first. It's really valuable, not just to redefine what we do, but redefine what the students do. If we're going to get rid of teacher, let's get rid of student as well. Let's give ourselves roles. So I am executive producer. They are filmmakers. They are directors, writers, producers. In my drama class, I've stopped calling them students. They are now performers. And it changes their mindset. It's all about just feedback, feedback, feedback. Okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Okay, let's perform some more. That's been really valuable. I hadn't really thought about the term of student because these terms, teacher, student, puts us in an automatic hierarchy. I loved what you said about shifting the name of a student to performer or producer, creator, and I was like, okay, so what would I call the students in my chemistry class? I would call them chemists. Why are we so afraid of shifting our role from being the expert and the teacher? I thought about the word facilitator. It's funny though. We're all kind of locked into this system. A few weeks back, I had a student say, can I call you Shane? And I just said, sure. And they were shocked. And like, yeah, I don't care. That's fine. He couldn't do it. Right, Because you're so locked in. We buy in from a young age to the whole system of there's a teacher and the student, there's that authority structure. And I'm not saying let's throw that out. I mean, I think there needs to be some level of hierarchy and organization. It's not like I'm going to come in and say, well, we're a flat organization, which means you're going to lead the class today. Surprise. I can't do that. But at the same time, it definitely needs to be adjusted somewhat so that I think kids can be more effective learners in the room. Well, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities to think about it being a flat organization. I just don't think we can go from where we are right now to a flat organization because there's so many things that we're not including everyone in the conversation. I think of grading and moving to the competency-based grading. I don't think parents were really given the understanding about why we were changing the system because I think of myself as a parent. And as a teacher and as a student, it seemed to work for me. Why isn't it working for you? I don't think we gave parents enough time to understand the impacts of the 100-point scale or the way we grade and the lack of feedback that comes from the way we do grading. I always joke with my students, okay, now I'm going to take your work and turn it into numbers. I dislike it a lot too. We're still beholden at the end of the semester, we have to turn out a number which is really annoying. My daughter, though, in elementary, they do competency-based learning, and I really like it because it makes sense. It's not like, your daughter has a 73 in English. What does that tell me? You know, Versus actually having the areas she's really great at, and this is the area she could work on. I was like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. That transition, giving students more autonomy about what they're learning, did that happen pretty easily for you? Did that transformation, did it cause you any anxiety? 
frustration because I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles for a teacher to opening their hand is the lack of control and knowledge of what might happen in their class. I know there's a lot of schools, they have a book and it's like on this day, you're on this page. And so there are systems under which this idea wouldn't, I don't even think is possible. But the thing is like, if I had tried, if I had done this whole open hand thing on my first year of teaching, forget it, forget it. I would have fallen apart. It would have been an absolute disaster because at the outset you're young and you're not quite sure what you're doing. At least I wasn't. And so I felt like I needed to have some level of control so I could kind of know what was going to happen. But as you get better as a teacher, because you don't come up fully cooked after 10 years, you start to realize I don't need to be hanging on to this so tight. This is boring. I'm getting bored. They're getting bored and they know what they want to do. There's kids who are like, can we just do this instead? But my answer previously was like, no, that's not what we're doing today. This is what we're doing. But my response now is if, if they say, can we do this other thing off the beaten track? I'll say, well, maybe that's not going to fit today, but let me think about that and I'll see if we can make that work. There's been other days where they said, can we do this? I'm like, that's way better than what we're doing right now. And they just nuke the lesson and away you go. But it was a process. It happened slowly and I didn't choose to do it that way necessarily. It just gradually happened over time where I came to this. It was almost like I was just making choices that were better for my own mental health and for that of my students too. And I saw that there was really cool, effective things happening. Why would you shy away from that? This is making things better. So let's do that. When I design a course, I'm still like, okay, these are the targets. These are the milestones. We're going to hit these things, but maybe how we get there, let's try doing it this way and see how it goes. And then we'll adjust. I tell my students all the time, if this doesn't work, we'll just stop. We'll back it up. We'll try something different. Or if you have something different that you would like to do, let me know. And we'll see if we can incorporate that. That's kind of how I try and incorporate student voice in there is just not walking in there and saying, this is the plan, but I leave it open to a little bit more possibility. And it does take some experience to do that. I couldn't have done that as a brand new teacher. That's so fascinating. You're right. I only became able to really incorporate student voice as I became more experienced, more confident, more trusting of myself, and then trusting that the students weren't going to take me down a path. Teaching is something that you do get better at over time. And I've learned a ton. I still keep learning a ton. I'm way better as a teacher now than I was 17 years ago, but I've still got tons more to learn. The profession keeps changing. The kids keep changing as a new teacher. It's a much less secure position to have in a room with 30 kids and and giving some of that authority to them. That's kind of a scary thought if you're a first-year teacher just trying to help students learn about the War of 1812 or whatever. It also is dependent on a school culture. If the school culture is already in a place where the students have autonomy and you're a new teacher coming in, yes, it would be scary, but there would hopefully in that kind of a culture be enough educators to support you. In order to get to that kind of a culture, you have to be accepting of mistakes, accepting of, oops, let's try that again. We're modeling that mistakes are part of the process. And I think back to that inexperienced teacher mode that I was in, I was aiming for perfection. I was like, okay, I have this lesson. I have it met out to the second and nothing will go wrong. And if it did go wrong, I would fake it until I made it. And so what I was doing was I was showing my students that perfection is achievable and mistakes are not acceptable. I never put those two things together 
until I started to incorporate student voice. Yeah, the thing that that used to surprise me, I'm getting used to it now, but is is that when you ask students, I think a lot of people are just scared of that. Just asking students, what do you want to do? Because we're just so scared they're going to be like, I want to get out of here. There's those kids in every room, right? The kids who just don't want to be there. It's the work of your job to try and sort of poke at them and figure out how to get them to go. On any given day, you're going to have those kids. But by and large, helping kids to just be part of the process, most of the kids are going to say really cool stuff that you haven't thought of. And that's where I get a lot of my best ideas from is when I ask students, when I forget about my own self and say, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? A lot of times it's curricular, it's on target, it's interesting, it's novel. I can't always just adjust right that instant, but let me figure this out. And then we'll kind of turn it into something that we can all work on. It usually goes pretty good. I've been astonished at doing this podcast at the simple advice that students have given me, the ability for me to totally take their advice and put it right into practice. It was really surprising to me when I made the realization, hey, we've not really engaged students this way in the system of education. And now that I've started asking and talking to students, I can't stop. I think once a teacher opens that door and like you said, realizes that they have good ideas and they're maybe one or two times they're going to take you down the tributary of that river, but they still, they're still invested in in the learning too. And you're, you're tapping into their curiosity. And once we tap into their curiosity, it's, it's boundless. I had one student in particular in my high school film class a few years back, and she brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But we'd be in the middle of a lesson. She'd be like, Mr. Lawrence, this is boring. This is not important. We need to do something different. And I'm just like, okay, what, what do we do? It's like, we should do this. I'm like, okay, let's do that. And there are things that I do in my film class now that started because of that student. She was an exceptional case where nobody needed to empower her. She was already empowered. (laughs) But there's a lot of things that she mentioned that I threw out because I got such great feedback from her. There's things that I was doing that just weren't valuable. They were valuable to me, but I was able to throw away a lot of things that weren't valuable on reflection, not all that helpful for my kids and bring in a lot of stuff that was really on point and really helpful and definitely helped them up their game because they have to make films. So we started really focused in our study just because this student was just like, look, I'm going to tell you what's what. And it really helped. If you don't listen to your students, you're closing out, closing a door to a tremendous amount of opportunities just for feedback for yourself and getting access to this giant hive mind that's got all these really cool ideas. I love the way you put that. If you don't activate that student voice, if you don't engage with them and empower them, then you really are missing out on something that could be better, something that could be different in a good way. If you could narrow it down, how would you say you build a relationship with students? You can learn to facilitate a course. You can learn to deliver content. I think you could make an entire career out of it. But I think there is something that innately good teachers possess that helps them build relationships. When I'm in a room with my with my kids, I just love being there. I love hanging out with them. And I so I don't know that it's a methodology because I mean, there are students that I bounce off of heart and that bounce off of me. Like we just do not get along. But they go next door to my buddy Sean and they love him because he's got a different way of doing things, but that we both love our kids. And I mean, I think that's really all that you can do. If you just genuinely want to be in there with your students, they know it. And that's how you build relationships. You get in there and you just talk to them and you just 
part of it is just being who you are. I don't know. I don't have a real solid method, but my take on it is just love being where you are. Because if you don't, students know. They can smell spoiled food and they're not going to go near it. I look at the teachers in my building who really just have those deep relationships with with students. And it's the ones who are just like, just love being there with the kids. And that's why they're teaching. That's part of what makes worth coming in, knowing that your kids want to be in there with you. And that goes a long way. What kind of advice would you give to the new teacher who is struggling with engaging with students or struggling with holding on to that lesson plan with an iron fist? Chop your lesson plans in half. Get way less specific. I remember my lesson plans were like this too. The students will say this, and then I will say this, and then we'll turn to this page. They'll read this paragraph, and then I'll ask this question. That doesn't do anything other than just make you feel like you're in a rut. I would say to newer teachers, give the 10,000 foot flyover first. What are the things your kids need to learn? How do they get to that? Is what you're proposing, is that the only way or can you make it more flexible? Are there other ways that we could do this? Is there, is there a way that you could do this so that students can actually be more involved in what they're doing? That's the big advice I would have given myself too. Just relax. <laughs> Less specificity. Be very specific about goals. Be very specific about where you want to end up on any particular day. But then allow some room for some serendipity. Allow some room for some flexibility. Now, is that good advice? I don't know. Because again, going back to my own year, first year of teaching, I mean, I was pretty terrified. The only panic attack I've had in my whole life, thank God, has been my first year teaching. Yeah, because there's just so much pressure and so much stress. If you start doing the whole thing where it's just step one, two, three, four, five, missing out on a lot of opportunities. So maybe you start there, but maybe steer your ship a little bit towards that future where you can actually break free of that a little bit. Maybe once you know the content better, once you know your students a bit better, work towards opening up your room to yeah some random chances, some student voice. Think about your advice about cutting my lesson in half. And I think what that does allow is that that space of uncertainty that we're all so afraid of. But that is where connections are made. That is where you engage with them, ask them questions about them and what they're interested in. And it's okay to not be doing all the time and let life happen. But I agree with you. I'm not sure as a brand new teacher if I would have taken that advice. I'm at the point now in a couple of my classes where I can come in to a class and say, so here's what I've got planned for today. I want to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. But what do you want to do? And they'll say, well, what we really need to do today is we need to do this and this and this. I'm like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take the first piece of my lesson plan because that's the one I really, we have to do today. It needs to get done because it's going to equip you to do this and this and this. And then the rest of it, you can do that or you can do that. So we're basically constructing the lesson at the start of the class. You know, by and large, those are great days when I can come in and say, how do you want this class to run? And most kids aren't going to say, we just want to have a nap, right? They're just going to say, well, we want to do this and this and this. Like, cause you know, that's when you know you got them, right? It's like, what do you want to do? We want to work on this curricular thing. Awesome. Yes, I win. That's when you know it's really working, but it took a while to get there. Well, and there's value in doing something like that, having it blow back in your face, and then having the conversation with your students, giving them the opportunity to use their voice and to see how their choices impacted you. Being open and honest, we're not that honest with students about what's going on. There's the times where you can pull that trick where you th where the students think they have choice, 
but really they're just choosing from all the stuff that you wanted to do anyway. There's days where I've done that. I wouldn't do that every day because that's not, that's not okay. But I mean, there's days where it's like, it's not necessarily wild and crazy blue sky thing you want to do, but like what order do you want to do them in? Or maybe what proportion of the class is going to be with this or that? So I'm still doing all the stuff that I want to do. So less student voicey, but still on that spectrum of responsibilities and relationship building, that's a fair thing to do. But I don't think that's student choice. Building that trust with the students and almost testing the waters and seeing what what they might do if you give them a choice. The idea that if you pretend to give them choice, but don't give them choice, they will figure it out. And then when you actually decide that you want to give them choices, they're not going to feel empowered to share. So if you can instead give them real choices, show them that you are a professional and that you can do things in more than one way and that you can introduce new concepts or a new way of approaching something maybe you've taught 20 times before in a way that's going to make it more effective for them. If you can show them that, then they're going to come at you with their best stuff. That's so critical. What you just said is really, truly empowering them. They will they will rise. And if we pretend to empower them, they will guard their cards even more. And so pretending is really the antithesis of what we're trying to achieve. I think we captured some incredible ideas. I think there's a lot of value to what we talked about and sharing it with others. I think hopefully we'll add more student voice out there. I want to thank you, Shane, for joining me today. And can you tell us where we can find your podcast and what social media you're on? Mm -hmm. Our podcast is Unprofessional Development. You can find that at unpro.podbean.com. And you can find me on Twitter, unpro underscore Shane. Again, thank you so much for joining me. And something that I also have found in education is that it is pretty isolating. And unless you are doing something like you or I are doing, we don't know what other people are doing out there. And I think it's really important for us to engage professionally with other educators to, to connect. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Thanks for listening to another episode of Education Unimagined and my interview with Shane Lawrence. I want to ask you if you would share this podcast with somebody you think would enjoy it. What better way to support and engage for this podcast by sharing it with someone else? I want to share an analogy about a basketball team. If you are creating a basketball team, the likelihood that you are going to stack your team with natural basketball athletes is pretty slim. You know, as a coach, that you have to train athletes to become better athletes. You have to coach them. You have to guide them. Leadership is the same thing. We have to train leaders. We have to guide leaders. We have to coach leaders. And if you or somebody you know is someone who could use some of those leadership trainings, I have a great program for you. It's called the Leadership Academy. And if you search peers, not fears, you will come across my Leadership Academy. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast Unimagined for all the amazing upcoming interviews that I have on the slate. The theme music for this podcast Unimagined was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon. Mm -hmm.